the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. The Bible says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there were, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on this message this morning. Our Lord God, we come before you right now. We thank you so much once again for the power of your word, and I pray that you would use it in our hearts and in our minds. It is the word that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. And so I pray, dear God, that your word would speak to our hearts. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would do such a work to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives, to conform us in the image of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. According to LifeWay Research, it was last recorded, the data in the year 2019, that there were 4,500 church closures in America alone. And only 300, excuse me, 3,000 church plants. That is a, a negative of 15, approximately 1,500 churches. And I don't know what the rate is as of two, uh, 2022, but we do know that church closures are happening at an alarming rate. And I recently read an article describing the symptoms of a dying church. Listen to what some of the symptoms are. There are more than what I'm going to give you this morning, because, but I'm not going to give you all of them for the sake of time. But I just took some of the major highlights that really spoke to my heart. Here are the symptoms of a dying church. Number one, there's an unhealthy prayer culture. They said in the article, the church should be coming together, praying for each other and praying with each other. An unhealthy church that doesn't have the sense of the presence of God won't prioritize corporate prayer. If the people in the church don't prioritize prayer, it means that they don't have faith in God. And without faith in God, the church is on its deathbed. Number two, there's a, uh, that uh, you can tell that it's a dying church because attendance is decreasing. If attendance is declining and it's not seeing local visitors regularly, it's an indication that the church is in trouble. Number three, another indication of a dying church, people aren't regularly being saved and baptized. A church not faithful to the Great Commission will gradually die, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Number four, 
lack of discipleship making. Since there are no salvation decisions in the church, no baptisms, then it only follows that discipleship will also lack. Number five, giving is decreasing. Money is tight in today's economy, but when members can't afford tithes or offerings, but can afford spending frivolously like expensive coffees, trips, recreational activities, and such like, it manifests where the treasure of their heart is. This is a sign of an unhealthy church. Number six, the aging of the church. If there's a lack of younger generations, the church must ask itself, why is it not producing in the new generation? Look around. Number seven, the church isn't serving others. The church is unhealthy when it has difficult, difficulty getting volunteers for VBS, Sunday school, nursery, etc., Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. If the members won't take time to love and serve each other, it's time to do a serious heart check. Number eight, community involvement is missing. It's easy for a church to shut itself out from society. The church is to be in the world, but not of it. What impact What impact? is your church making in the community? And then number nine, relationship with God is missing. How are members really doing in their relational walk with God or with their mouths do they show much love but their hearts are actually far from God? If their hearts were truly strong with God in their walk with God, then the church wouldn't be dying. Ouch. These are just some of the symptoms that were given, but I think you get the point. This was basically, however, the condition of the Jewish synagogues in Jesus' day. And maybe even synagogues today. I don't know. I've never been in one. But it's certainly true in churches today. The setting of this passage is that Jesus was with four of his new disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And they made their way into Capernaum, which was in northern Galilee. And the way Mark described this passage is is that he was moving quickly because he was describing the activity of the suffering servant. And he did it that way because that's what good servants do. They are constantly moving and constantly proactive and on the go. That was our Savior. We see the mindset, this mindset, throughout this gospel of Mark. Because we read frequently the words straightway, immediately, forthwith, and anon, all throughout this gospel. Just how much time had elapsed between the calling of the mission of fishing that we talked about last week, of these four disciples, and our present uh, passage is only conjecture, but it would seem that it occurred within a a, a very few days. In fact, the Sabbath day in which these miracles were done may have been immediately the following day. Here they are in Capernaum, and Jesus made his his way into the synagogue. And according to Luke chapter 4, verse number 6, it was his custom to do so on the Sabbath day. Jesus observed the Sabbath in the way God had intended that it should be kept, but he refused to observe and recognize the mass traditions and legalistic additions to the scriptures. 
The synagogue was a place of assembly. It wasn't the temple, which was divinely appointed, but the word synagogue itself means a place of gathering or assembling together. It became the center place for Jewish community. The assembling at the synagogue was a, was a display of loyalty to the law of God. The Jews felt the need for such places when they might come together for instruction and fellowship. And there were synagogues where, uh, wherever there were enough Jewish families to maintain them. And there were often several in the cities. A typical service involved prayer, the reading of the law, and a sermon by a, a rabbi or a scribe. And these were men that were entrusted with protecting the word of God and proclaiming the word of God. They were entrusted to give their lives to learning the law and sharing with the people of God. However, the sermons by these scribes and Pharisees were notoriously drab, dusty, and dry. The scribe or rabbi would stand and read some portion of scripture and then quote op, uh, opinions or other of other rabbis, never telling the people what the law really said or what it really meant. Usually, they would present legalistic restrictions to the people about the Sabbath day. This form of worship was a typical Sabbath in the synagogues. That's how it was normally being done. But something different happened on this day in our passage. If you look in verse number 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue. That's what the difference was. On this day, something unusual occurred. At the end of the teaching, by this servant, the congregation was moved. Because the Bible tells us in verse number 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine. You know what happened? They were ignited. That word in verse 22, astonished, means to be stricken as by a blow or to be amazed. A great illustration of that would be if you took one of those light matches, you know, the strike, uh, strike matches where you take it and strike it with a blow and a match lights up. That's exactly what this is talking about. How they were astonished. All of a sudden, psh, they were lit up and they were excited and they were amazed that they heard something different. They went from an apathetic assembly to an astonished assembly. And so today I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, When Christ Ignited a Dead Assembly. When Christ Ignited a Dead Assembly. And my challenge to us today is to do some internal examination and ask ourselves, is our church and am I part of a dead assembly? You heard the symptoms. Figure it out ourselves. What are we? I want us to see why the assembly uh, needed to be ignited. Number one, the assembly needed to be ignited, and uh, it happened because the assembly needed the presence of God. Look in verse 21. The Bible says, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered. You ought to underline, highlight, circle that phrase in your Bible. He entered into the synagogue for so long those uh, long dry sermons from the scribes contained no substance no content 
It was merely the opinions and traditions of men being imposed upon the Jews. They were adding more chains of bondage upon the Jewish community because the Sabbath was void of the true presence of God. The scribes and Pharisees were all about exploiting their own people, making themselves to be superior to the common Jew and making themselves the focal point and putting upon the people and shouldering upon them rules, religion, and regulations rather than focusing on a relationship with God. There, were no, there was no life to these assemblies, no energy, no vitality, only bondage to the law. The whole mindset of their, of their teaching was self-merit through law fidelity and not fidelity to the sovereign God. Their meetings were like this until he entered the synagogue. Once the presence of the literal word of God in the flesh entered in the synagogue, it made an impact. Worship isn't worship unless Jesus is present. May I say that again? Worship isn't worship unless Jesus is present. Some assemblies worship their piety. Some assemblies worship their pastor. Some assemblies worship their programs. Some assemblies worship their liturgy. Some assemblies worship their music or worship team. May I say, and dare I say, they're basically worshiping worship. But they're not worshiping God. Understand this, my dear friends, that an assembly with the presence of God in it will have something that brings energy and joy and life. The Bible tells us in Psalm 1611, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. True joy and fullness of joy and true pleasures are found only in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The scribes should have been familiar with that verse in Psalms, but they didn't focus upon it. I'm sure they could have quoted it, but they didn't want to bring that out because they were more concerned about putting rules and regulations on the people. And so the synagogue was dead. There was no joy and no pleasure. Also understand that an assembly with the presence of God in it doesn't have fear nor anxiety. There's no worry. There's no anxiousness. Isaiah 41 verse number 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You see, my dear friends, God said, I am with thee. If he is with us, if he is in our presence, then why, my dear friend, do you worry? Why are you anxious? Why do you struggle with these things? Or is your God not big enough? Remember, a dying church won't pray together. Because could it very well be that people are not focusing on the presence of God and trusting in God and trusting in their own manipulative way to fix the problem? And because of that, there's more worry and anxiety that's happening in the church. We worry so much because we don't have his presence upon our lives. But God made it very clear 
that he, uh, in him, he is with us. He, uh, we are to not fear. We are not to be dismayed, not to be anxious, because he is with us and he is our God. He made the promise that he would strengthen us. He promised that he would help us. He promised that he would uphold us with his right hand of his righteousness. And the Jewish generation at the time when Jesus was preaching this, was a fearful and faithless generation because Jesus even described it as such in Matthew 17, verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? When Jesus entered that synagogue, however, his presence brought something in the souls in that congregation that brought amazement to a dying assembly. I ask you this question. Do you live your day with a conscious, pres conscious presence of God? Do you think about him every single day? Jesus ignited this assembly because it needed the presence of God. Secondly, I want you to see that Jesus ignited this assembly because the assembly needed the preaching and teaching of God. Look in verse number 21. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. That word taught in the Greek language is didasko, from which we get our English word didactic, which means to, uh, that's, that is teaching. We've read in verse number 15 of this chapter that Jesus was out preaching the kingdom of God was at hand. You see, folks, for hundreds of years, the scribes had been nullifying the Torah by their enforced traditions. They wanted to look good in front of men and compared themselves among themselves. It was all about, I am better than that guy. Remember the Pharisee who said and prayed, I thank thee, Lord, that I am not like him. That's the kingdom of men. And that's what was being preached in the synagogue, the kingdom of men. The kingdom of men is all about self and how their outward law fidelity was enough to merit entrance into the kingdom. Their kingdom of men produced rituals. It produced religion and it produced traditions. That included the law, but it was the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. But then he came into the synagogue. And when he came into the synagogue, he preached a whole different mindset to them. And he taught a doctrine that was unlike anything that they had ever heard. In Christ's latter discourse with the scribes and Pharisees in Jerusalem, he pointed out in Mark chapter 7, verse number 13, that they were making the word of God of none effect through their tradition, which they had delivered, and many such like things do ye. That's what he said to them. How many churches do we have like that today? That it's all about tradition, tradition, tradition. Rules, rules, rules. Rituals, rituals, rituals. And if you're not dressed a certain way and carry this kind of Bible or that kind of Bible, then you're not saved. Jesus Christ came in and he preached and taught the kingdom of God. They needed to know that it wasn't about an outward show, but an inward substance in a walk with God. Here, the very word of God was giving them the mind of God. And I would imagine that his teaching was substantive, 
like that, uh, like that, what, which we learn in Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, open it to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to take a look at how Jesus uh, entered in that synagogue in Nazareth. Very similar. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16. The Bible tells us where he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the book where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In this passage, notice the content of what that sermon, that teaching, that didasco was. I want you to see, number one, he was evangelizing. That was his teaching ministry, to preach the gospel to the poor. He brought astonishing good news to the humble of spirit. Not only that, but his message was encouraging. Not just evangelizing, but encouraging. He says, he read out, to heal the brokenhearted. He brought amazing encouragement to those who were contrite and broken. Thirdly, his message was liberating. To preach deliverance to the captives. He brought the amazing hope of freedom to those who felt captive by the Roman rule. And as well to those who were already captive in sin. And then, his message was enlightening. Notice it says, to recover the sight of the blind. And then uh, we also see the content of his message that he was consoling. It says, to set at liberty them that are bruised. He offered amazing consolation to those who felt pressure from sin's guilt and life altogether. That word bruised means to be pressed down. And that's what the message that Jesus preached was. To set at liberty, to free them from the pressure. You ever been that way? Has he entered into your presence? And then lastly... His teaching and preaching was promising. It says there to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He proclaimed that the redemption had arrived. God's plan of accepting his people back into reconciliation and through redemption had come. It had arrived. And this was a message that ignited these people in the synagogue. Here was this man who entered into the synagogue. And preached to them hope, encouragement, consolation, and comfort. And my dear friends, this message is still the message that God wants us to present today. This is a message that, that they had never heard, but this is a message that will never die. This preaching brought energy to a lifeless assembly. Finally, someone who was offering life, light, and liberty. And my friends... This is what this dying world needs today. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the hope that needs to be brought out. It is the light that needs to be shined in a dark and dying society. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the hope that he offers, the substitutionary payment that he provides, of his death, burial, and resurrection that the very God of all wants sinners to be freed from their bondage. 
and that he brings clarity of life to those spiritually blinded and encouraged to be disheartened to the disheartened ones. This message, my dear friends, still baffles people today. Some people have no direction. John 14, 6, he's the way. Some people are looking for answers. Again, John 14, 6, he is the truth. Some people are looking for purpose. Again, John 14, 6, he is the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And that message, my dear friends, is the message that still astonishes a dying world. Furthermore, like that assembly, we can grow. We can grow by knowing God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still the power unto salvation to anyone who would believe, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thirdly, not only did Jesus ignite the assembly because they needed the presence of God and the preaching and teaching of God, but I want you to see in verse number 22 that the assembly was ignited because they needed the power of God. Look in verse 22. What made them astonished? It says, And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had what? Authority. Authority. And not like the scribes. Not as the scribes. You see, my dear friends, Jesus Christ taught with authority. We are told that he was one who spoke as one who possessed authority. Why? Because he is the authority. He is the standard. This means that Jesus spoke as a man who knew what he was talking about. The scribes could only quote one another, but Jesus spoke with power and understanding. And a quick glance at how the scribes taught against how Jesus taught reveals why the people were so amazed by what they heard. The scribes majored on trivial things. They majored on the minors. They elevated the traditions of men above the word of God. They were worried about things like tithing mint leaves and how far a man could walk on the Sabbath. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus, on the other hand, spoke of weighty matters. He preached on the majors. Such as life and death, heaven, hell, and eternity. When they heard Jesus preached, they knew they were hearing words of eternal value. The scribes rambled on and on, quoting one another, never saying anything of any importance. You see, folks, Jesus spoke with compassion. The scribes didn't care about the people to whom they were preaching. They used the people for their own advantage and profit. But Jesus spoke with compassion. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion upon them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And he cared about every person he spoke to and he pointed them to the love of God. They were astonished. Their hearts were pierced. Souls were saved and lives were eternally altered. Do you exhibit the symptoms of a dying church? That needs to be ignited. Do you live with the conscious presence of God? With a heart and life to learn more about God and be taught from God? 
And do you exhibit the authority of God's word in your life? You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kehiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.